Welcome to South Dakota Specialty Producers Podcast Series. I'm your host, Laura Kaler, with SDSPA. The South Dakota Specialty Producers Association is made up of growers, consumers, and others interested in producing, marketing, and supporting South Dakota specialty crops, meats, and locally made products. For many specialty producers, having a high-quality product isn't enough to provide a connection with the market needed. STSPA member, owner of Stewart's Aronia Acres, and Vice President of the National Aronia Growers, Jeff Stewart is with us today to teach us more about this impressive little berry and share how he has worked alongside fellow Aronia berry growers to develop a system of aggregation that helps producers with even just one acre to reach a broader market. Thanks for being here with us today, Jeff. To start off, can you tell us about how you got introduced to the Aronia berry? I worked for the federal government, so we moved around a lot of different states and our last location where we lived for eight years was Idaho, northern Idaho. And on that property, we discovered this little plant that um, at first I didn't really know what it was, but they got berries on them. I did some research, discovered they were aronia berries, and they tasted okay to us. I actually made some wine out of them. Um, so after discovering them on our property, I, I, I did the research on them and discovered that they were, um, the berry was the highest antioxidant berry um, that there is. And they were easy to grow in Idaho. So we moved to South Dakota and I guess that's how we first got introduced to them. Um, we did plant a test row of them in South Dakota to see how they would do and they did very well. They grew fast, they were hardy, and they got berries on them. When you started off as a producer, what options did you have to sell your berries? We didn't have a lot of options back then because nobody knew much about them, what they were, the health benefits of them. And so we did run across an association called the Midwest Aronia Berry Growers Association. And we found out about who they were. We joined um, and we went to a, a conference and we learned more about uh, that there were other growers and that at least some people knew about the berry and that they were native to the United States. But there really wasn't, to get back to your question, good markets um, because nobody knew what they were or much about them. So we kind of had to the Midwest Aronia Association and all the growers kind of, it was their responsibility to get the news out and tell people about them, how healthy they were and how they could use them and cook with them and eat them and, and things like that. So that's kind of not a lot of options at the beginning. How did you use your involvement in that Midwest Aronia Berry Growers Association and lead that into the creation of the National Aronia Growers? Well, we went to, um, maybe it was our second conference. Uh, they had like one conference a year. And that's really where all the Aronia growers that were members of the Midwest Aronia Berry Association, um, that's where they met and discussed things and, and had presenters. And um, so anyway, it was probably our second conference where we got to know some other growers and especially a, uh, another grower from South Dakota and a grower from Iowa. 
And um, we thought a lot alike. We talked about things. We met met in our rooms and um, thought that it would be great to um, aggregate because no one grower grows enough berries to attract any kind of major buyers of the berries. So that's how we first got involved. It was um, with other growers. And then um, with these two other growers, especially, we each knew other growers from our, our local area. And so we started having meetings at one of our farms with inviting some of the other growers to get ideas and try to figure out what we could do to to aggregate and get something going. Can you break down the steps that you three initial growers took to set up your LLC of the National Aronia Growers? So I assume it's a similar process that other producers could take with other commodities. Yes, yes it is, it's very similar. Um, it it kind of came down to the initial three growers. You really gotta have an interest in some um, fired up growers that, that wanna get in get into this, but we, we formed, well, backing up, we, um, we did meet with um, Sherry Rath with Value Added Ag. We kind of discussed things with her, our ideas, and because, you know, there's various ways to form. You can form a co-op, cooperative. Um, there's other ways. Uh, we ended up deciding on an LLC with, with the three initial growers. Um, and so we, we formed a company basically out of necessity and we knew enough other growers that we attracted other growers, um, from each of our areas, Iowa, Southern South Dakota, and where I'm at by Wagner. And, um, we, we kind of went from there. So I guess if you're looking at the steps, you seek help from other Entities like Value Added Ag Extension helped us a little bit, and then just our own knowledge um, about how to form a company. Because us and the other two growers that we were teaming with kind of knew something about forming companies. Um, so we did form a uh, South Dakota registered LLC, and I guess we started from there. It seems like the um, three initial growers still have a pretty involved role on the board of our National Aronia Growers. Does everyone kind of have a delegated task that they're responsible for? Well, they do. And, um, you know, we have meetings. We have, um, of course, annual reports we have to get together. There's uh, tax things we have to meet um, about. and. It, it's a pretty big responsibility because the way we're set up is there's a there's a membership and there's contracts with each of the growers and there's responsibilities um, for each of the three members or actually there's actually six because we each have wives so we we kind of learned because there was um, an Aronia berry co-op where they tried to form a co-op and it 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 failed big time. So we learned some things um, from that, why it failed, how it could be done differently. And and so we structured ours differently. Um, 
and we can get into that, but ours is structured with a small membership fee and anytime any berries get sold, um, everybody gets a check. Uh, everybody gets a percentage and it's based on the percentage of, of their inventory for that year. That's what people liked. Um, that's one of the reasons the co-op didn't, didn't, um, didn't pan out, but um, our LLC is still going and been working. Do you have any other advice when you were comparing the co-op versus your LLC uh, setup method? Um, any other advice on what you chose to do from learning from what didn't work as well in this situation? Well, um, yeah, you have to, um, of course, when you form a company, it's good to, you can form a company without any attorneys or anything, but we did go the attorney route to help us. Then they, they help us with the taxes every year. It's a good idea to seek advice, like I said, from, from other entities and, and uh, kind of go from there and, and getting back to the, what the three, uh, there are the six members do. Um, one of our, um, one of the owners of the company of one of the three owners um, is a very good marketing person or a broker and they know how to do that. And the other two are um, more on doing newsletters, educating our members, um, doing in field inspections to make sure that everybody's complying with, with our, um, requirements to produce a good healthy berry and that kind of thing so yeah each each of the three owners or six owners um, have different responsibilities i imagine that the producer starting off in a similar shoes of where you were not being able to find a market and then coming across your llc to be able to market and help them sell their berries is a really beneficial thing are there any advantages that your group provides beyond just having a spot to sell product to? It's kind of interesting because there's a lot of advantages from, um, to aggregate and why people should aggregate. You're not competing against your neighbors. Um, and if you have enough product to it, you can attract bigger commercial markets that an individual farm can't reach. And then um, if you have an organization that's structured like ours, um, we assist all of our members and we share resources and then we, um, we do education and provide technical assistance, um, to optimize good agricultural practice production. Aggregation provides greater sales stability year after year through a, a larger geographical area, um, you can do higher volume sales of berries. Um, and we have an aggressive marketing person that's dedicated. I mean, that's their, one of the owners, but that's pretty much their job. Um, and then with our organization, um, we pay for storage and cold storage costs of the berries while they're being sold before they're sold, they have to be, the process is, you know, people harvest and then they have to get them to our 
one of our facilities, cold storage facilities where they're um, sanitized, cleaned, destemmed, um, bagged and boxed and frozen. And then our marketing person sells them from there. Um, so as I, as I said earlier, um, if berries are sold every month and a lot of times they're not, um, but if they were sold every month, then each grower would, would get a check every month. And it's just based on their percentage of their, their inventory of berries compared to the whole inventory of berries. Um, so the other thing with our, the way we set up um, is that, and I think that's what the co-op did wrong maybe is they wanted 100% of everybody's production where our national Aronia growers, it's the grower that tells us how many pounds each year that they want to commit to our inventory, national Aronia growers inventory. And it can be 20% or hundred percent or whatever. Um, and so a lot of benefits. Um, other benefits is that, and we've done this, um, everybody has to, uh, when they harvest, harvest their berries into vented totes. They're like 35, 40 pound totes. And that's how they're shipped is right in the totes to the destemming facility. And so we got together and we ordered for our members semi loads of totes and we got them at a very cheap price because we bought in large quantities. So volume purchasing was a real advantage to being, you know, a member and aggregating. Um, we had quarterly newsletters. Um, we had a conference every year uh, and we still do some, uh, not every year, but, um, and we, we have a list of custom harvesters because everybody doesn't have a harvesting machine. So we try to team up um, growers and, and people with harvesting machines um, and reefer trucks for transporting the berries to the um, cleaning and the stemming facility. When I was looking at the photos, I saw some of the harvesting equipment. and I was curious if the growers in your group worked together just because I imagine the expense of everyone having their own harvesting equipment would add up. Yes. Yeah. The, um, probably the one you saw, uh, harvesting machines can cost anything anywhere from 35,000 to a couple hundred thousand dollars. Um, ours is a pull behind half row. The one you saw, um, and that's like a $35,000 machine. So, um, we got into it, not, for the purpose of harvesting other people's berries. Um, but we do harvest for one other person that's fairly close to us. Um, but there are custom harvesters, these, you know, hundred to $200,000 full row, faster harvesting machines that um, go around. And I don't know what they, what they charge 20, 30 cents a pound to harvest for people, but um, there's custom harvesters that we try to team up with our, our growers to help help them out. Yeah, I can imagine that networking would be very valuable for things like that. Yes. On, on the flip side, what expectations does NAG have of the producers? 
So when somebody signs up and says that they would like to be a member, what do you expect of them and their production? Yeah. Um, growers um, are expected to grow and deliver the highest quality, safest fruit possible. And we do have, um, we do have some, some rules about herbicides and, and that kind of thing near on and near the berries. We're not, um, some of us, some of the growers are organic and some aren't, but we don't want, um, especially with some of the berries, some of our um, buyers now, the berries are going into pharmaceuticals. So you, you can't have any um, hint of any herbicides or chemicals uh, in the berries. Um, so the grower is supposed to deliver a high quality berry. Um, we have three-year contracts or marketing agreements, I guess we call them, um, because we don't actually, um, NAG doesn't actually own or buy the berries at any point in time. The owner, the grower still owns them. Um, the grower is supposed to maintain proper and current field management documentation. So documentation on harvesting, storage, and transportation uh, so that um, there's trackability. So basically there's a form where they have to fill out and put on um, on each each load when it was harvested. Um, basically, on each pallet, there's 40 totes on a pallet. Um, so, and there's a, a lot of other rules about the berries when they're harvested. They have to be cooled down to 40 degrees within four hours of harvesting, um, and things like that. They have to follow, say, food handling guides that we've provided um like i said the cool down and um you don't set your totes on the ground and basically it's it's gap good agricultural practice um kind of rules and regulations there um they have to growers have to sign a marketing or a service agreement uh, and pay the annual marketing fee and that's based on the number of plants that they have and it's a fairly small fee for that, but it's an annual fee to be a member and, you know, to bring, so they can bring their berries to our cleaning and the stemming facility. Um, they have to allow their fields to be inspected by um, a representative of National Aronia Growers. It's usually uh, uh, one of the three owners. And then when their berries are brought to the cleaning and the stemming facility, they're inspected again. We have had to reject loads of berries because there's too much trash in them or the berries are red. In other words, they weren't fully ripe, um, things like that. And then we have in our service agreement, confidentiality and non-disclosure agreement as part of that, so. Sounds like you put a lot of thought into your agreement. Yeah, yeah, you have to. Um, you have to protect the other growers. You have to protect the company. And um, I guess our annual enrollment fee um, kind of goes from one to 1,500 
plants, it's $350 a year. If you have 1,501 bushes or plants, up to 4,000 plants, it's $650 a year. And then it kind of goes up to um, 6,000 or more bushes, um, it's $1,250 a year. So that's kind of our membership fee structure. Um, and then but, with the agreement that you have for your producers, what topics does that include or cover? Well, as I said, it, it covers the, um, the things that the grower has to provide and do, which I, I kind of went through, but um, there is there are some other things um, like we do have a, a, a per pound lo loyalty bonus where if a grower um, brings the same amount or more pounds the, the second year, then they, they get a little um, a bonus for that, for doing that, um, extra money for their berries. Um, we, we don't buy um, National Roni Growers, basically a brokerage firm, but we don't purchase berries from non um, National Aronia grower growers. So we only buy from our members. Um, but it's pretty much, um, pretty much kind of went what I went through. How do you handle issues of different, different qualities of products? I imagine like most fruits and vegetables, there's different levels of quality with the berries. Yes. Good question, Laura. We did, we did have to go to an a grade and a B grade berry. And basically because we were getting um, smaller berries, not shriveled ones, because we don't take shriveled, we don't take red berries and loads have been rejected because of that. But um, if they're all um, ripe, but some are, are really nice and big and juicy and, and some aren't. Um, and what we did was uh, we compared the size of the berries and we did various juicing techniques. In other words, you, you, you juice so many pounds of grade A berries and so many pounds of smaller grade B berries and to see what the difference was in uh, yield on juice. And because there was a, um, a decent difference in yield, then we did go to the a grade, um, and, and then that they get a few more, and I forget what it is, cents a pound for A grade, and a few less cents per pound for, Greek, for B grade berries. And it, it all comes down to size. Um, and, in, and we determine that during inspection. So usually, um, since rows differ and for soil fertility differs and um, like even though you know we fertilize pretty well we take pretty good care of our our berries um, but we'll have we'll have some a grade berries we'll have also we'll have some b grade berries because some of our soil isn't as fertile there's low spots um, and so most growers have a and b grade berries but um, you know we didn't want to short the really good growers that have mostly A-grade berries by giving them the same as 
um, somebody that has mostly B grade berries. So that's great that you noticed that and came up with a system for it. So my experience with aronia berries is pretty minimal. I tried some at our farmer's market once and then bought a bag for some muffins, but that's about it. So can you explain uh, for someone like myself, what is the overall process for growing and harvesting aronia berries? What does that look like? Sure. Um, they're, they're a very hardy bush to grow. Um, they grow in a wide variety, a wide range of, of conditions. So they're fairly easy to grow. But um, when we started out, uh, I knew a lot about, about this because my degree is in forestry. And, um, but we, we planted our aronia berries in rows, our bushes. They were one or two-year-old stock. Um, some we got from the conservation district and some we got elsewhere. But we used fabric. It's six feet wide. Um, it's 20-year fabric. And so we did very good site preparation. It was in alfalfa prior to our planting. And so we, we planted, we had the conservation district, we hired them to come in and put fabric down right over the top of the seedlings that were already planted. Um, you can put fabric down first and then burn holes in the fabric and plant in the holes. But, um, and when we planted back in 2010, the recommendation back then is to plant them six feet apart in the row. And that's what we did. Um, now the recommendation is planting them three foot apart. So you're basically, you can double, double produce um, from what we have and what we did. Um, but you basically, the second year we had a lot of flowers and this was back in 2012. Um, everything was white out there with, with aronia flowers. Well, we had a late frost. That's the only time we've ever had a late frost. Um, and then we had a drought. People remember 2012. So it was a late frost and a drought, but maybe that actually helped us because they were only two years old. So in the third year, we actually got a pretty decent crop. Um, things were normal, decent rain. Um, and so we did, we did harvest. Um, in 2013, we actually bought our harvesting machine in 2012. So we used our machine, machine harvested. Um, and from then on, you um, it's basically, you do sometimes get elm or mulberry or a tree stem coming up in the hole. Uh, remember now these are in fabric, six foot wide with the, with the bush planted in the middle, down the middle of the row. Um, but not too often. So you need to walk the rows, cut out any trees that are coming in where the aronia bush is. Um, and then it's a matter of um, mowing in between the rows to keep the competition down, the grass and the weeds and whatever. We actually planted grass in between our rows. So there's basically little to no in-row weeding. And the between-row care is mowing. And, and that's about it. You watch them grow, and then um, come harvest time, if you have a machine, um, you're ready to you're ready to harvest. And in South Dakota, what size range are most aronia fields? 
people are going bigger and bigger um, all the time. We have like 10 acres of aronia berries because we also grow, we've got like an acre of black currants and an acre of honey berries or hascaps. Um, but anywhere from, I don't know, uh, 500 bushes um, up to, like we have 6,000 bushes. Um, but, you know, as far as our, our company, um, you can have just about any amount, but it, it gets to where it's not profitable if you only grow a very small quantity because you have to follow our rules, do the membership fee, um, harvest them correctly, take them to our cleaning and the stemming facility, um, things like that. Uh, so with small quantities, we recommend you know, try to develop markets locally. Um, go to your farmer's markets with your berries and maybe your hy-vees and yeah. grocery stores. Um, you can join join National Roni Growers, but um, most of the growers are, are going to be um, you know, up in the thousands of bushes. Like us, we got 6,000, but we're, we were one of the larger growers way back. Now we're one of the smaller, I would say. There, there's, there's one small, there's three, uh, four, five acre growers too, but um, there's also some 40, 60 acres too. So regardless so, of the size that they have coming in, once the berries are harvested and delivered to NAG, what happens to them from there? You've kind of hinted at some of the steps, but could you kind of outline that? Sure, sure. Um, I guess there's good communication between our company and the grower so that um, we can arrange uh, the best day and time when for you to deliver your berries. And usually, you know, it starts, we're multi-state, so it'll start where um, Iowa and even further south, they'll start bringing loads of berries to our cleaning and the stemming facility earlier and then as we get up into North Dakota um, there's ripen later and they harvest later so it works out pretty well but basically you contact us and we work out a, a delivery date and then you deliver the berries to our cleaning in the stemming facility um, where it's basically a semi um, unloading dock and so there's forklifts that go in the semis, unload the berries that are on pallets, usually like 40 totes per pallet. They're brought into the cleaning and the stemming facility. And um, all, the, all the time that um, berries are being delivered, there's also cleaning and the stemming line where berries are being cleaned and stemmed. So they're basically disinfected, um, they're destemmed. Um, and basically they're, um, they go on a conveyor belt, they end up going into um, plastic bags that are inside boxes and the boxes are sealed. And then they're put back, the boxes are put on pallets and then they're quick, quick frozen in, in the cold storage um, facility, right? That's right there. I mean, it's all cold storage facility. So, and then pallets are stacked 
one on top of another and uh, or not pallets, but um, loads of pallets, boxes, uh, pallets with boxes, go on pallets with boxes. So does that explain it? Yep. Uh, so pretty much. In perhaps the most exciting question, what products can somebody find in Aronia Berry Inn? Um, I would say most of the buyers um, want the berries for juice. Most of, most of the berries go into juicing. So the berries are sold frozen. You actually get more juice out of thawed out frozen berries than out of fresh berries. And um, so our frozen berries are sold and then um, whoever buys them um, most mostly turns them into juice and um, and then they they you know they put the juice they either blend it or into other juices or sell it as pure aronia juice or aronia apple or other juices um, there is a, a company now that's making aronia gummies so uh, and then we've had uh, interest in pharmaceutical companies. Um, they're starting to buy some and put them in um, pills and stuff like that uh, because they have the more antioxidant than any other cultivated berry in the world. So they're very, a lot of health benefits. And Well, next time I'm at a grocery store, I'll have to do a little bit more careful looking and see where I can find aronia berries. There's some companies that direct market uh, have a direct marketing thing going with with um, aronia berries uh, various aronia berry products juice um, powder where you can just sprinkle it on things and, and uh, so uh, if an aronia berry producer is interested in selling with neg what do they need to do to become a member and get started well um, they could contact one of the owners, myself, Charlie Caldwell, or Tony Heisterkamp. Uh, we do have a website. Uh, we have a website, uh, Stewart's Aronia Acres, and then National Aronia Growers has a website also. Um, and that, I believe, is just nationalaroniagrowers.com, correct? Yes, yes. And you can get contact information there. Um, and I think trying to remember what our website is. It's just aroniaacres.com. That's right. Wonderful. Um, and it looks like you have contact information on that website as well. If someone wants to reach out, are they welcome to contact you with questions? Certainly. Yep. We get contacted quite often. We've had two or three tours of our farm um, showcasing the aronia berry and our harvesting machine and you know, that kind of thing. So it's been a few years, so we'll probably have another on-the-ground tour uh, sponsored by South Dakota Specialty Producers Association in the future. So listeners will have to watch our calendar and website for that. Yes. Yep. That'd be fun to see. So in my final question for you today, what advice would you give to producers looking for options for aggregation? Well. Um, I think it's, it's 
the way to go in South Dakota because uh, of the distances between growers um, of just about anything, apple orchard, strawberries, uh, raspberries, you know, people growing a lot of different products out there. They're, they're kind of spread thin. And um, if, you, if you can join an organization that aggregates um, and, and it's a good, fair organization that does it properly and um, it's a good way to go, it's something to look into for sure. If there's no aggregation organization out there for the crop you're growing, then you could certainly look at starting to aggregate. Um, there's actually grant assistance potentially. There's um, people that'll help you, like South Dakota Extension. Uh, there's um, value-added agriculture out of here. Uh, they were a help to us early on, and um, they can actually help write grants to get uh, get possibly. Start, you know, startup grants. Um, but South Dakota is kind of hurting with um, the processing facilities for a lot of uh, crops that aren't corn or soybeans or, you know, that kind of thing. So um, it helps to aggregate. Uh, you don't, it's not a good thing to be competing with other smaller growers. And um, the big thing about aggregating is that. If you can get a sizable, saleable product, you can attract um, the bigger buyers. And um, so I, I guess I've been a proponent of um, maybe South Dakota Department of Ag and others are always looking at ways to help uh, diversify and help specialty crop producers. And um, it would be a good thing if, if, um, Maybe our some of our institutions and prisons and stuff would um, have some rules where they would buy locally, locally grown things instead of from the huge companies. Yeah, they can get it cheaper maybe, um, but um, maybe not. And uh, maybe we can help South Dakota diversify some more and, and uh, get more different crops growing here. Absolutely. Well, mm -hmm. thank you, Jeff, so much for your time. I learned a lot about aronia berries and I myself and I'm sure our listeners appreciated learning about the aggregation system that you've set up. And hopefully some of our listeners might be working on setting it up for themselves in the commodity that they produce. Yeah. And if there's individuals that want to call me direct or, uh, you know, after listening to the podcast, I'm glad to um, answer questions on pitfalls and how we how we aggregated and and um and that kind of thing because i i really see that as the way to of the future for um you know your non-commodity crops being grown in south dakota we gotta team up and not compete <laughs> with each other so right well thank you jeff i really appreciate you and jolene's willingness to help other producers as well well you're very welcome laura and thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the South Dakota Specialty Producers Association podcast. We will be bringing you more episodes on aggregation for specialty crops. So don't forget to hit subscribe. 
And until next time, keep growing.